Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, everybody? This is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate, and over there is Charlie Thompson. How you doing today, Charlie? Well, just a good New Year's bombing to everyone. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. Here's some bombs. We were gone for a while. That You know, we took a break. We took a little bit of a break. That's the longest we break we've taken since starting the podcast. It is. and uh, Which we did load up a bunch of audio articles on the podcast. For so, everyone to so, enjoy. Yeah, you yeah. were able to listen to some content from our website while we were gone. But man, did a lot of stuff happen while we were gone. Yeah. Holy crap. I know nope. everyone missed these faces on the yeah. live feed. We went to, uh, <laughs> we went to, well, we had Christmas. So, so that was important. We did an episode right afterwards, didn't we? I think so. And then, uh, and then we went to Dallas. Went we, to the big D. Yeah. We both grew up really big Dallas Cowboys fans. You can't help how you're raised. Yeah. Uh, so we both grew up really big Cowboys fans. So we went to a Cowboys game the last year, uh, the last one of the year, hopefully Jason Garrett's last game. And then uh, we it all, is, by the way, it, it is. He's gone. Is he gone? OK, he's I had not done. read that yet. And so uh, we also stayed through New Year's Eve in Dallas and we watched the Predators, the Nashville Predators, the hockey team play Dallas in the Winter Classic, which was really cool at the Cotton Bowl Stadium. And it, lose. it was a fun time. They lost very. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they were they were up to nothing, feeling really good. And then they just completely fell apart. Yeah. You know, it's about yeah, so, accurate. It's a story of our Dallas sports careers right there. That's that's just how it is, I guess. <clears throat> so, it, you know, we tried to watch another team while we were there just so we could feel good about watching sports in Dallas. Right. Didn't work. We went to Didn't a work. comedy show. We did. For the night of New Year's Eve. And that was pretty fun. Actually. Dallas Comedy House. That was really cool. Yeah. They did kind of a whose line is it anyway kind of thing. And um, I had a good time. I'd never actually been to a comedy show before. I hadn't either. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool way to spend New Year's Eve. Yeah. We'll have to go to more of those. We will. Maybe we can do some improv sometime. And we stayed away from the giant drunken crowds. We did. Which is good. Yeah. Back in our early, you know, 20s. We were leading the crowds. Oh, yeah. We would have been kicked out of all the bars we went to over that time. But uh, not anymore. Not anymore. now in the latter stages of millennialism. We <laughs> Late stage millennialism <laughs> yes. is kicking in. We're at, I'm, at, I'm 32 years old. Charlie is 31. And it's a real thing. Once you hit 30, yeah. it, your body hurts. You're really tired. And I know people older than us listening to this are like, oh, kid, you have no idea whatever. what you're talking about. Right. But there is a big difference from the time that you hit 30 that you, I just don't really care about staying out really late and partying or no. doing any of that anymore. I think that the comedy show ended at like 1140. And then we did uh, a toast at midnight and I think we left. To we go left home immediately. Yeah. At like 1218. <laughs> it was 1218. And we, we went back to the, to the Airbnbs. We were downtown after the fifth or sixth <laughs> gunshot we heard ring out. We decided it would be best if we went back to our place. So <laughs> yeah. I hope some of those were from good guys with guns stop, right. stopping something. You know? We didn't want to get into any wars in Dallas. No. However, no, no. but uh, uh, last night. Yeah. God bless America and Iran, I guess. It's happening. It's happening. (laughs) Everything, you know, we just talked about, we just talked about how good it was that Rand Paul is a liberty loving guy in the Senate and libertarians should stop hating on him because he single-handedly had stopped war with Iran. Well, that's last year. Yeah, that was 2019. That's 2019. (laughs) Here we are in 2020. I guarantee you President Trump didn't get any advice from Rand Paul. Because now we have killed 
uh, allegedly, and I think we're not. <laughs> I, think, I, think it's, I don't even think we're. I think he's confirmed dead. Disputing it. No, no, it's but, it's a confirmed kill. Yeah, we've <laughs> we've gone ahead and killed one of the highest, uh, the highest ranking general in Iran. And uh, yeah. now listen, good Dis- disclaimer: this guy was a terrible dude. Yeah, okay? probably terrible guy. Yeah, did he deserve a death sentence? Probably. Yes, he probably did. Okay. But we have to be, we have to stay true to our principles when we're talking about this. And what we're going to talk a little bit about today is what has gone on between the U.S. and Iran. Because we're, listen, we're at war right now. I don't, I know we're talking about whether or not we're going to go to war. When one country is striking another country and then the other country strikes that country and then we strike them and then they strike us and then we kill one of their generals, their, you know, one of their head guys. We're at war with Iran, whether you want to call it that or not, whether that's the right political you know, terminology or not, I don't know what else to call it. And so all I want to ask for, the main thing I want to ask for is for at least the people, the people on the right who have been talking up the Constitution my entire life, talking about how we're going away from the founding fathers, talk about how we're going away from the ideology that created America, talk about how the Democrats are going against the Constitution all the time. All I'm asking for is for a vote in Congress on whether or not we should go to war with Iran. That's all I'm asking for. I released an article this morning on our website and on our Facebook said it's time, saying it's time to declare war and on Iran. And in saying that, I'm not saying that I think we need to go to war with Iran. What I'm saying is, since we're bombing each other, we need to go through the proper channels and have the people vote on this, on whether or not we want to send our troops into war with Iran. That's all I'm asking for, okay? So we're going to go over some of this stuff. Do you want to talk about the, um, the whole Pentagon the uh, the news story we have from ABC real quick on the uh, on the troops. Yeah, I do want to go okay. through that. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, honestly, we're going to get down into some of the nuts and bolts of the relationship between Iran and the United States. And then we're going to actually go to what I believe is the root cause of all of this conflict. Literally, the majority of my life, we've been at conflict. And I'm going to go down to the root cause of how that's all happened. And um, and but before I get there, but first. But first, this I, I opened up a brand new can of Coke Zero. It's delicious and delectable. Oh, and, yeah. And I needed to uh, have some of that refreshment to make sure that when I get to yelling in here in about five or ten minutes, <laughs> that my voice sounds fluid. Make sure still. you back enough off the microphone that you're not. Clipping. I will. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll make sure that I release. Yeah. <laughs> properly. But anyway, I, I was reminded of our of our coupon here, our sip and scan code, although they've changed it. Um, now it says scan the bears. Huh. But but uh, okay. but anyway, um, I'm reminded that you need to subscribe to the podcast, just like it says right now on the live feed, top right section, subscribe to the podcast. What that does is that gives this or sends this podcast directly to your favorite podcast listening app. If you're on uh, Spotify, that means follow, hit the follow button. Uh, If you're listening on our website, which a lot of you do that, go to your favorite podcasting app and hit that subscribe button on an iPhone. It's purple, the purple (laughs) subscribe button. If you're colorblind, then it just says subscribe. Yeah. Hit the find that subscribe wording. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, subscribe to the podcast. That helps us more than anything. Um, And it helps continue to grow the show, which we've been growing like crazy. Even when we took a week off pretty much like 
the audience size keeps going. Our, our audience up up, size up, up. went up while we were taking that you know, 10 days off or whatever it was. Which means many people took my advice and were sharing the show with their yeah. communist uncles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell your favorite communist uncle about and, this podcast. And they got hooked. <laughs> okay, so while we've been posturing, you know, President Trump has said a lot of things that I agree with when he was running for election and over the last few years. We've given him we've given him credit whenever he talks about how our the wars in the Middle East have been a waste, how we need to leave. It's time to bring people home. In fact, I think just like three or four months ago, we were talking about how it was time to get out of the Middle East and that we needed to bring people home and stop trying to build nations overseas and all of that. He talked about it during the debates. I, he was, I think, one of the only people, you know, save Rand Paul, uh, who said that the Iraq war was a mistake during the 2016 debates. Okay, so this was, it was a pretty big deal with him getting elected and he obviously does not like war. I don't think he likes war at all. And we did this, this big to the about how we're taking troops out of Syria, you know, bringing them home. Mm -hmm. We're reducing our troop presence. All you the know. Republicans were behind that. The Republicans are strongly behind that. Yeah. Bring them home. The Middle East is a waste. It's time to come home. We've been there for 19 years. We got to, we got to get out of there. And now it's like all of these people just have complete amnesia or it's just a complete lack of principle is really all, all it is. They've because been drinking milk of amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> these they, thought same, was, they thought it was eggnog <laughs> these same people are like yeah let's go we got a bomb there they attacked us like guys you were just saying that it was time to get out of the middle east right this is part of not getting out of the middle east by the way the more you you park yourself in the middle of other people's conflicts the more likely you are to get attacked by people while you're over there okay if iran had a military base somewhere in arkansas they would have a lot bigger chance of getting attacked by the u.s they'd probably be going okay? after bill clinton yeah there in arkansas so or if they if you want to be more <laughs> if you want to i don't know maybe they they'd take over walmart or something from from there i think that's where they're headquartered um <laughs> so you know if they if iran had amassed a bunch of military bases on the canadian and mexican borders i would say iran would be a, at a lot higher risk of getting attacked by the US or, or some type of conflicts breaking out between our two countries. If you want to get out of the Middle East, then the number one thing you need to do is get out of the Middle East. That's the number one. That's first step. First step in leaving the Middle East is leaving the Middle East. And then we'll talk about what's going to happen after that. But when we stay there and we just stay there for two decades, and we're always there and we're always intermingling ourselves. We're always interfering in foreign elections all the time over there. Like when we do this forever, these types of things happen, you know, and I don't want anyone to get killed, obviously, over there. I, I want them to be safe. That's why I want them to come home. That's that's why I actually want them to be safe. We've had <clears throat> since, you know, since the whole thing, I guess the war on terror has begun. Um, there's been more you know, kids, more troops die than we had people killed in the World Trade Centers. Yeah. And yeah. over 100,000 people wounded and no telling how many cases of PTSD and and suicides and things like that. Veteran suicides, veteran homelessness. Um, you know, it's like we send these kids. God, I was in Dallas Airport yesterday flying home and there were a lot of kids in uniform. And then I'm talking kids. I mean, this one kid, they couldn't even smoke yet. No, they can't. Now they can't smoke yet. 
The, he was pro, I'm guessing he was 18, but the, he looked like he was 12. And all of them that were there, they were, must have been some new recruits straight out of high school because they <coughs> looked so young. Yeah. When my brother, my brother uh, is in the Marines, when he went in, I mean, he just looked like a kid, just, yeah. just a kid. And of course, he's my little brother. Like I, I see him as my kid brother all the time. But man, seeing him uh, in a military uniform at, at their uh, graduation or whatever it is that they, whenever they, they get out of camp mm-hmm. and all that. I could not believe just how young all of these people were. I mean, you're just literally just 18 years old, you know, people serving in the military that weren't even alive whenever 9-11 happened. Right. I mean, it's, and you know, Ben Shapiro talked about this on his podcast. You mentioned, I'll go there since you mentioned it, this is not planned. uh, The fact that more people have died, more troops have died than the amount of people that died on 9-11. And Ben Shapiro uh, tackled this directly and he said well you can say the same thing about world war ii also you know we lost 2000 something americans in pearl harbor and then we lost uh, hundreds of thousands you know uh, i don't know what of 200,000 people or whatever it was in world war ii in an insane amount of people but can you say the ends justify the means like is it are we safer now because we did that yes we lost more people than died on pearl harbor but would it have still been better to just not do anything in world war ii well there's one stark difference yeah that congress declared war that is a pretty big difference yeah <laughs> that's a that's Remember, a major difference that's all we're asking for here right is a declaration of war. right just do that Look, it, I, I, I don't even know if going to war with Iran is the right or wrong thing to do. My, I lean towards it's the wrong thing to do because we've been at war in the Middle East for 20 years and nothing has come of it. What, I mean, how long was World War II? It was, yeah. a, it was a long war, but our involvement was six years, eight years, maybe. Yeah. It, it didn't span. I don't know. I know it didn't span <clears throat> uh, two decades like no. this one has. That's for sure. And so it's like. It was like 41 to 47, something like that. Right. Yeah. And look, I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight for freedom. And I'm I'm not saying that, you know, the old people always say, well, it's better we fight him over there than fight him over here. Like no one's no one's invading us. No, no. So we've been attacked. How many times on American soil have we been attacked? Like once uh, Pearl Harbor, uh, September 11th century. And then, and then, um, you know, you've got probably some other uh, bombers and things like that. Or Mexican American War, some, some terrorists, you know, that were that that killed some people. It's a handful of events where someone outside of the U.S. has actually orchestrated an event that killed people on American soil, and everyone else has been killed. Like while we were over there, to right. quote, to quote Ron Paul, we're we're over there now. Uh, you can make the argument that we should do this whole minority report idea and we should go out and we should stop things before they happen. But it's not obvious that we're, that we're having the desired effect here. Right. Are we actually making things safer? Are we stabilizing the Middle East? Is, is it a better place now than it used to be? How, much, how many people have died? How many civilians there? How many of our people have died? How much money have we spent? How much money have we taken from the American people and our children and our grandchildren? And to do what? This is the pure definition of insanity. We keep thinking that what we're doing is is the right thing or that this time it's going to work, this time it's going to be better. And we just keep doing the same things we've been doing over and over again. Now, this is not about not supporting the troops or not wanting to keep Americans safe. This is about 
the exact opposite of that. This is about supporting the troops and keeping Americans safe. That's why we have this this ideology. And for some reason, we think, oh, if we just bomb them for one more year. Yeah. We just need to bomb people for one more year and then they'll like America. We just hit a couple (laughs) more strategic military installations and then and then everything's and then magically they're going to wake up and they're going to they're going to copy and paste the United States Constitution into their documents. And everyone's going to wake up thinking that individuals are sovereign and they're going to be quoting Thomas Jefferson all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen these people have to rise up and take their own countries you know france helped us in our revolutionary war but we started it we wanted it we wanted the freedom from from britain we wanted that that revolution because of at our beliefs least three and a half percent of our population at least <laughs> a good portion of it, at least a very small percentage of us did but this in this case like we're just going over there and telling them what they should need or want or what you're trying to just drop a set of values on people who don't have that value system they don't have this the sanctity and the sovereignty of the individual and their culture quite as much as we do here we're still debating women's rights and whether or not lgbtq people should have their heads cut off or be hung in the street in some of these places. And we're mm-hmm. telling them, oh, we need to get rid of this person and they'll just have a democratic election. Like this isn't working. The people there don't want it. They, they do not want this. Some of them might, some of them might, but the, by and large, they're trying to let us run their battles for them. And it's not a winnable war. It yeah. just isn't. And we're going to go through the timeline of the U S Iran relations. And we're going to start, in 1953, I'll give you a brief synopsis before that, before 1953 and what our involvement was over there. But this is all, I mean, it's all coming to a head from a really long time of, uh, of let's say higher, uh, or more powerful nations being involved in the middle East and this kind of stranglehold, um, you could say over oil or you could say over other, other kinds of things, but but really, and I think Ron Paul really hit the nail on the head in 2008 and in 2012 when he was talking about why all this was happening. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you when we go through this timeline. I'm gonna give you what I think is the root cause of all of this, and how it's completely antithetical to our constitution. It's antithetical to what the government set up, to what our founders set up. And I think you've got a good quote from Abraham Lincoln in here. Yep, that's gonna give us some some insight. But first. Uh, breaking news this morning. We received this about 20 minutes ago from the desk. Um, <laughs> the, the Pentagon is to deploy roughly 3,500 more troops to the Middle East amid tensions with Iran. So this is coming from ABC News. Um, the Pentagon is deploying roughly 3,500 more troops to the Middle East in response to rising tensions in the region with Iran. And one day after a U.S. airstrike killed a top Iranian military commander. The soldiers from the 82nd Airborne Division could leave Fort Bragg in North Carolina for the Middle East as early as this weekend, two U.S. officials told ABC News. One official indicated the troops could be stationed in Kuwait, where 750 soldiers from the same brigade were deployed on Tuesday following violent protests at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. The decision to deploy additional American forces is partly in anticipation of a possible retaliatory attack by Iran or its proxies following a U.S. drone strike that killed Kasim Soleimani, the leader of Iran's Quds Force. Yeah. Iran's Quds Force. Now, there's some stuff to know about the Quds Force. It's this is such a mess. This is this is such a big mess because 
this is someone that we were supporting at one point at one point in time, as all of our other wars have been too. By the way, the same thing with with uh, Saddam Hussein. Um, this is someone that we were supporting. The Quds Force, their original um, reason that they existed was to fight the Taliban. That's that's what they do. They fight the Taliban and they fight Al Qaeda. That's what they were supposed to be there to do. So it, this is really messy. This is really really messy. So it, while we go through this timeline, just realize how big of a mess this is and put yourself in the position of someone who's 50, 60 years old and you live in Iran. Say you're your parents' age, your grandparents' age, and you live in Iran. Okay. We're not blame America firsters, but it is important to go through the timeline of events and always ask yourself, how would you feel as an American citizen? if this same timeline of events had happened to, to you. So um, we've got, do you want to start it? Because you've got that news story. You've got that story from 1953 on there. Well, I was just going to give a brief synopsis prior to 1953, um, which is the U.S.-Iran uh, relations. We first sent an ambassador, or I'm sorry, Iran first sent an ambassador, which at the time Iran was Persia. Um, was the Persian Empire. They first sent an ambassador to the United States in 1856. Wow. So uh, from 1856 to 1953, it was was just peaceful relations, basically. Um, Iran fought there, uh, the Persian Constitutional Revolution in 1909, um, and they had those those wars. Um, They were fighting Russia, mainly, the uh, uh, imperialist of Russia. (laughs) They were um, in, in... in they were fighting Britain, uh, who had owned most of its oil company when they decided to nationalize oil and everything like that. And then all of a sudden, in 1953, we start uh, getting involved uh, big time, big time. Um, but we get involved under the scenes. <laughs> all right. And I'm actually going to go into I, I guess I, it, this gives me the opportunity to give you the reason why all of this has happened and the reason why um, let's say our hands are tied because um, there's almost nothing we can do. And I'm actually going to go, I'm not going to go full conspiracy theory, but I'm just going to give you two words, (laughs) deep state, deep state. So, all right. In 1953, the CIA helps orchestrate overthrow of Iran's popular prime minister, Mohammed Mazad, Mazadegh, restoring the power, restoring to power Shah Mohammad Reza uh, Pahlavi. So this is good, good job on those words. Thank you. Yeah. Thank job. you. Uh, I'm doing the best I can. All right. <clears throat> yeah. But anyway, it basically the CIL, CIA helps orchestrate the overthrow of their current prime minister to reinstate the Shah. Yeah. Right. Which is a dictator, by the way. So congratulations to the CIA in 1953. For helping do this. Well, and this so, this is not, I know you're going to read this thing coming up. So it's 1953. Keep in mind, okay, my mom is negative 10 years old at this time. So <laughs> she's, you know, a little young to imagine my parents going through this. But if you're a little bit older than us, imagine your parents or your grandparents and, and this kind of thing happens. You have a, a democratically elected leader. And I believe he was democratically elected. Yes, okay. He was. <clears throat> so, so this happens and we go in and we we stage a coup basically to put this guy in place. Now, why did this happen? Well, well, what happened basically was this democratically elected leader decides that he's going to be in Iran firster and he's going to nationalize their oil industries. 
Okay. And what happened was, what had happened was, we didn't like that very much. And neither did the British. No. They did not like that very much because they needed them to work with us on getting that oil. And we needed that oil. So what we did was we put someone in place who was going to work with our governments and trade with our governments so we could obtain the oil that we needed. Right. Okay. This is not a conspiracy theory. You no. can you can look this up. This is straight up history. People from the CIA have said that this is what this is about. There's books on it. There's yeah. This this happened. Yes. This is a real thing. So and one of the one of the reasons why that he wanted to nationalize the oil company was because the profits from the oil company were split between Britain and Iran mainly. But Britain and their people got 85% of the oil profits while Iran only got 15%. And it was, you know, it was Iran's oil. It was their, um, it was their, uh, under their ground. It was their national product. Their national product. Yeah. Um, Of course, we don't believe in nationalizing things. We think (laughs) private companies should do that. However, um, it was Iran's oil, not Britain's. Yeah. So even if Britain helped get the oil out of the ground. It doesn't matter. You know, you should pay them the fee, right? Or whatever. They shouldn't get 85% of the profit. Well, it's like if we decided we were just going to use our own oil and not trade it with the rest of the world or do anything like that. And these other countries come in and remove Donald Trump from office and put some, put a king in place that says he's going to go back to free trade on our oil. Right. It's, it's that kind of thing. Right. I don't think we would support that. No. And you kind of, Throughout this timeline, you have to put yourself in their shoes or put yourself in your parents' shoes or their parents' shoes or or any of that. So let's go through this. So this is where I think our main problem is. So following the coup, the United States helped reinstall the Shah. In the first three weeks, the U.S. government gave Iran $68 million in emergency aid. This is back in 1953, by the way, an additional $1.2 billion over the next decade. In this era that ensued until the fall of the Shah in 1979, Iran was one of the United States' closest allies. The U.S. and by the way, in the 50s, people used to vacation there. You yeah, know? like you see old vacation photos, people going to Iran. Um, and in fact, I think Iran was like half Christian in the 50s or something like that. Mm. Uh, in this era that ensued, I'm oh, sorry, the U.S. also played a critical role in founding the Shah's brutal secret police to keep him in power. Mm. So, not only. <laughs> Did the United States stage a coup? Um, the CIA. They also played a critical role in founding the Shah's brutal secret police. Now, why would they do that? So we put in place a. Excuse my terminology here. We put in place a Hitler, and then we helped him form the SS. Yes. After that, okay. basically. All right. Just making sure. So a U.S. Army colonel working for the CIA was sent to Persia in September of 1953 to guide local personnel in creating the organization. And in March 1955, the Army colonel was replaced with a more permanent team of five career CIA officers, including specialists in covert operations, intelligence analysis and counterintelligence, including Major General Herbert Norman Schwarzkopf who trained virtually all of the first generation of Savak personnel. Um, These in turn, I'm sorry, the Shah received significant American support during his reign and frequently making state visits to the White House and earning praise from numerous American presidents. The Shah's close ties to Washington and his modernization policies soon angered some Iranians, especially the hardcore Islamic conservatives. In America, the coup was originally considered a triumph of covert action, but later 
on came to be considered by many to have left a haunting and terrible legacy. In 2000, U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright called it a setback for democratic government in Iran. Supreme. <laughs> a, <laughs> Sup- setback. a setback. <laughs> Supreme Leader Ali uh, Khamenei condemned the admission as deceitful, complaining that it did not even include an apology. So th- this is what we mean. This isn't a conspiracy theory. This was admitted by the government and by the CIA, by many officials that were in the CIA back then. So so here's the main problem. I want to get back to uh, what I said earlier when they set up this uh, this brutal secret police to keep the Shah in power. What happened was um, the team that trained the uh, the police on how to basically uh, kill anyone who had opposition to the yeah. Shah. Um, it was a permanent team of five career CIA officers. Now, here's the pro- here's the main problem with everything. With everything, you could go throughout all of our liberty that's been inhibited by this government that's not supposed to be able to inhibit our government. Almost all of it gets inhibited, not by people we elect, but they're these unelected bureaucrats, like the five career CIA officers. Did you elect any CIA officers? I did not vote in the most recent CIA elections. <laughs> right. No. Now, look, I get that we have to have some things that are secret, right? We There has to be some secret of operation. You can't tell an enemy like, hey, I'm getting ready to bomb you. Right. You have to be able to to covertly do some of these things. But these bureaucrats, these uh, these agencies have so much power, not only the power to do covert operations, but the power to remove foreign leaders and replace them. Yeah. Without any vote from Congress or anything. How is this a government by and for the people as a constitution, as this republic so states? How is that possible when we have career Politicians, when we have, when we talk about the deep state, it's guys like James Clapper that have been in the NSA and, and the intelligence community for 40 years. Yep. Guys that have been John parts, Bolton. Bolton, who have been parts of, they've been parts of all kinds of elected officials. And these people stay in Washington for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, and they get to make all of the major decisions. And so it wasn't. Now, look, the president obviously is the head over these agencies, but it wasn't Carter or Reagan or anyone else who decided this. It was CIA officers that did this own covert operation. And so when we this whole thing that started and a lot of this, you can go back and, and see it happen in Vietnam and it happened in Cambodia and it happened in um, Afghanistan and it happened with secret operations against uh, Russia during the cold war and all of these things um our main problem i think the crux of america's issues are unelected bureaucrats yeah. and unelected agencies and these agencies that were started where the government we have a separate government that gets to run in complete secrecy um that basically steal our liberties day in and day out okay so i'm going to take us from real quickly from 1950 guys this is important to understand this backstory because we would care about this backstory if it were America. We do care about this backstory when it comes to things that have happened in America. And you have to put yourself in the position of other human beings that live in other places in the world and realize what their 
country's histories are because they get taught it in their schools too okay i'm going to run really quickly from 1957 to the year 1981 and then charlie's going to pick up we're going to go real fast 1957 the united states and iran signed an agreement on civil nuclear cooperation cooperation 1967, the United States provides Iran with a nuclear reactor along with weapons-grade 93% enriched uranium fuel. Wait, we gave we gave them a nuclear we reactor? gave them the nuclear reactor. Hmm. Okay. Weird. 1979, Iran's Islamic Revolution forces U.S.-backed Shah to flee. And then the Ayatollah Khamenei returns from exile and becomes supreme religious guide. Fundamentalist students seize the U.S. Embassy in Tehran and hold staff hostage. The United States cuts diplomatic ties with Iran. This is 1980. Seizes Iranian assets and bans most trade with it. And then a hostage rescue mission ordered by President Jimmy Carter fails. Now, I want to say during this time, too, the Shah was uh, ill with cancer. Yeah. And uh, tried to get into the United States, originally was denied by the U.S. Embassy and then eventually let in after uh, the embassy was overtaken and all that. So why didn't he just go to Denmark or something? I don't know. To get free health care. Sh- he should have. I don't know why he wanted to come to the United States. <laughs> why was he want to come here? That doesn't make any sense. OK, so uh, let's see. 1981, Iran releases 52 U.S. hostages minutes after Carter steps down and Ronald Reagan is inaugurated as U.S. president. Okay, so now we're at 1984. 1984. Do you want to take that from there? Yeah, in 1984, the U.S. lists Iran as a state sponsor of terrorism. And in 86, Reagan reveals a secret arms deal with Tehran in violation now, of U.S. arms embargo. There's something missing in here. I'm sorry. There's something missing in here. This 19, I don't want to leave it out because I don't want to get accused of presenting, um, you know, uh, slanted information. Uh, the U.S. listed Iran as a state sponsor of terrorism because there was a suicide bombing, I believe, on a U.S. Uh, embassy or or a um, maybe a military base that killed over 200 Americans right. before that. Okay, so I do I don't want to leave that out. That's not on this timeline right here. So there was a, there was a bombing that took place that killed a couple hundred Americans, um, and then. Uh, Ronald Reagan announced that they were a, a massive state sponsor of terrorism because right. Iran uh, was allegedly behind that attack that killed all those people. Well, and since we're here, we might as well talk about why do you why would you think that Iran uh, Islamic Revolution would force a U.S. backed Shah to flee? Why do you think in 1979 Iran basically wanted a revolution to kick out their dictator Shah? Um, I wonder if it has anything to do with anything else going on in the world. You know, was there anything else that we should be aware of that happened around that time? Well, I I think yes. But I think specifically when we talk about the uh, the parents and the grandparents here during this time, they all remember what happened uh, in the 50s. Yeah. And they they remember this brutal police force that kept the Shah in power. Yeah. And they remember that the Shah was put in power and this police force was what this brutal police force was established by America. This was a a police force that was torturing and killing people who would not fall in line with the king that we had put in power. Right. 
Okay. Nothing, now imagine. Nothing to do with freedom and liberty here. Now we have people tortured and killed in another country because they wouldn't fall in line with the guy that we placed in power after toppling the guy that they had democratically elected to be in power of their country. Now imagine this was the United States, right? Yeah. And a foreign power had established a king for the United States. And then if you didn't fall in line, his secret police force that the foreign power had trained uh, killed you and your family or parts of your family, I guess, like yeah. killed your brother, your sister, your mom or dad. Would you not hate the foreign power that did that to your family? You, you probably would. Yes. There's a good chance that there are people who are Jewish that have a little bit of animosity towards Germans. I yeah, would say, yeah, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know why? Oh, because I remember when my dad got killed in a gas chamber. You know, like I, I remember that. You remember my grandpa got killed by the by the Germans. Like that goes through your family history for a while. It's it's your it's your ancestry, and they were killed by these people, and you remember that. And this wasn't even sixty years later. This was just a little bit afterwards, after this guy had been doing this. Yeah, they didn't like us right they they didn't like us at that time and it's not because of the united states constitution it's not because of the sovereignty of the individual and the founding fathers it's not because we have freedom and they don't no (laughs) it is maybe it's some you know maybe the maybe the men in that country don't like the fact that we let women have rights here you know and so they hated because they didn't want us corrupting their their women with our evil our evil freedom ideas right. and they were losing control over their people or something, you know, okay. Maybe some people had feelings like that or something, but you can't just purely say, Oh, they hate freedom. And that's why I hate this is because they hate freedom. Right. It, it just doesn't work. And the other thing I was alluding to right here, 1979, this happens. <clears throat> There's a, a war between Iran and Iraq. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, we have been helping Iran this whole time. We've been building them up. We gave them a nuclear reactor. And then what did we do? Then we helped Saddam Hussein come into power. We funded them. We gave them all of their weapons. Because they have oil, too. (laughs) And then they, yeah. And then we uh, helped them invade Iran. Okay? And in one of those, uh, in that invasion, in that eight-year war, I think is what it was, A million people died in that war. There were chemical Chemical weapons, weapons, all kinds of things. A million people died in that war in Iran. Okay. This was a pretty big deal. This is another part of your family history. If you live in Iran, remember when Iraq invaded us? Well, how did they invade us? How did that person get into power? Oh, Saddam Hussein. How did Saddam Hussein get into power? We put him in power. Oh, the U.S. backed him. The U.S. backed him. They used some U.S. weapons whenever this happens mm-hmm. you can't just sweep all this under the rug and say you know forget it you know just just get over it forget about it it right. doesn't happen it's, sorry sorry no <laughs> just, no i i completely <clears throat> agree with that and so it, you know this goes back to uh what ron paul said again is like we've been over there yeah we've been over there for for 67 years now it's the year 2020 1953 67 67 yes 67 years worth of U.S. back covert operations, U.S. backed in your face operations backing the Iraqis. Um, and then, of course, what do we do later? We take Saddam Hussein down because he wasn't falling in line anymore. And uh, and and the Iranian people hate I mean, us. And talk it's no about, wonder. Talk about meddling in foreign elections. Good Lord, we're upset. 
that Russia made some fake Facebook accounts. (laughs) Okay. Russia meddled in our election. We all know we've admitted that. I don't think it's the reason Donald Trump won or anything like that. That's not why he won. But good Lord, they ran Facebook ads trying to sway our election. We actually staged coups. We we literally staged coups and took out their, their governments. Okay, this is a lot bigger deal. Whatever the equivalent of running Facebook ads in 1953 was, <laughs> we ran a hell of a lot of Facebook ads yeah. in, at that time. Yes. A lot of them. And a lot of them included, uh, you know, military weapons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to the 80s. Uh, so U.S. lists Iran as a state sponsor of terrorism in 1984. This is after that uh, suicide bombing. Uh, and then 86, two years later, Reagan reveals secret arms deal with Tehran in violation of U.S. arms embargo. So so get this. Get this. The U.S. had a law, basically an embargo that said that they we couldn't obviously. And plus our our we don't negotiate with terrorists. Dude, no, no, no. Keep in mind, we were backing Iraq in this Iraq Iran war. Right. OK. And then we also sold weapons to Iran okay, yeah. at the same time. And, you know, a lot of this happened. I'm sorry I'm laughing. This isn't funny. It's not. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry. It's it's comical in the essence of you can't believe this actually happened. Yeah. But it did. This really happened. And see, this is what happens when you have all these bureaucratic agencies, because a lot of things that were happening is like the FBI and the and some different other intelligence agencies were doing one thing. And the CIA and the other intelligence covert people were doing another thing. Um, and all of it approved by Reagan, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, yes. You do all of this more money for me and my friends. And I ran Ronald Reagan said that what happened in Iran what, with Iran was a mistake. He did, yes. got on. He did a national televised the address Office. and said that this was a mistake. This should not have happened. Right. And so he owned up to it. Yes. And then 1988, the year I was born, uh, U.S. warship uh, Vincennes mistake mistakenly shoots down Iranian passenger plane over the Gulf, killing all 290 aboard. Now, how do you mistakenly shoot down a passenger plane? Now, this is one of the bigger ones. But 290 on board, that had to be a 747 or an equivalent. It's a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. And we we shot, listen, uh, pure accident or not, truthful accident or not which i don't know how you just shoot down a jet like you're obviously not under attack from the jet you know how i know that because it's a passenger jet you weren't it under didn't attack fire any from the jet no so so we know that okay so whether or not it was a pure accident leaving conspiracy theories out you're not going to forget this as an iranian put yourself in that position imagine the situation imagine the situation that southwest airlines jet whatever whatever with 290 Americans on board is mistakenly shot down by Iran. What are you going to think? What are you going to think? What, what, what do you think we're going to have to say about that? Especially if that'll be trending on Twitter for at least nine to 10 hours. It, especially if your mom was on that plane. Exactly. Or what if your brother was on that plane or, it, or your son? And it doesn't even have to be family. The whole country would, would come together in mourning over this and hatred and anger towards the country that shot down that plane. Mm-hmm. And you would obviously think that it was on purpose, especially given the history between the two countries. Yes. I mean, the entire United States was upset when terrorists accidentally ran planes into the World Trade Center. <laughs> <laughs> That's you not know? funny. 
That's it's, not funny. It is no, it's but it's ridiculous. It's funny. The, it's the same premise, though. Yeah, they're like Iranians are human beings, like you are. They have the same emotions. Yeah, they're the same brand of Homo sapien. Yeah, you know, if their if their country or passenger plane is attacked or a passenger plane flies into one of their buildings as in a terrorist attack for the United States or a drone strike or whatever, they become emotional and and they become patriotic and stand behind the people in their country too. Yeah. So it, imagine yourself in 9-11 and how you felt during that time. The the Iranians feel the same way whenever one of their passenger planes gets shot down. Yeah. Or yeah. a drone strike kills their, their brother. This is the beauty of a podcast, by the way, because we don't have to worry about losing our jobs after that no. most, re- most recent comment. No, you know, I don't. That's, that's, the, that's the good thing. I mean what I say, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. they could have very well claimed it was an accident. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it doesn't change. Accident or not, like you said, it doesn't change the fact of what you felt during that time, that emotional feeling and then wanting to blame somebody. All right. So moving on from so from 88 to 2002, there wasn't much going on. And President George W. Bush declares Iran, Iraq, (laughs) North Korea and axis of evil, axis of evil. Yep. U.S. officials accused Tehran of operating secret secret nuclear weapons program. (laughs) Now. Can you tell me how in the world they had a secret <laughs> nuclear weapons program when we gave them the damn nuclear reactor with weapons grade uranium in 1967? How is it a secret? You can't make this stuff up. Oh, God. This is the man. That, uh, you can't make this stuff up. No. I mean, this is a chess game that we've been engaged in for quite a long time now. And it's important It's important when you're playing chess to realize the beginning moves are the most important. Your first strategy is the most important. And when you do actually win, you don't just remember the last move that won you the chess match. You remember how you started the game too. And then, so it's important to remember and go back to how this entire game was started, okay? Once again, we're not a bunch of blame America firsters here, you know? We support the troops, we love freedom, and we love liberty, and we hang our American flags high, okay? I'm even wearing the hat right now that says Armed Forces Entertainment on it. That's because I went to the Middle East and played for the troops. I've been to the bases in Kuwait that all these people are getting sent to right now, by the way. I've been to Bahrain and Saudi Arabia and Djibouti, Africa and UAE and all those places supporting the troops. Okay, so 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 don't don't you try to put that evil on me right now. Don't come at me, bro. Okay. so anyway, 2008. Let's see. Bush, for the first time, sends an official to directly take part in nuclear negotiations with Iran and Geneva. 2009, Britain, France, and the United States announced that Iran is building a secret uranium enrichment site enrichment site at Fordow. Okay. All right. 2012, U.S. law gives Obama the power to sanction foreign banks if they fail to significantly reduce their imports of Iranian oil. Listen, we gave Obama the power, and not even Obama, we gave the executive branch the power to sanction foreign banks, not just Iran foreign banks, by the way, all foreign banks that failed to significantly reduce their imports of Iranian oil, whatever significantly reduce means. It's pretty vague. So here we are imposing sanctions 
on the banks that are doing business with Iran. Iranian oil sales drop, sparking an economic downturn. So now we're behind, after all this, we're putting sanctions on Iran, okay? We're putting sanctions on them and we're hurting their economy. Now just imagine how important the economy is here in the United States. Imagine Donald Trump out there talking about how good our economy is and how strong it is. It's his number one election piece. It's all he should talk about. Literally, all Donald Trump should talk about is taxation, the economy, job growth. That's all he needs to talk about, and he could win the election. If, if he made the vow right now to only talk about that. Okay, it's a very important piece of our lives. Imagine a foreign entity deciding that they were going to sanction any bank that did business with the United States. And then our economy crashes afterwards. How are the people in the United States going to feel? I'm not talking about the government. I'm not talking about whether or not the government's at fault. How are the people in the United States who are the actual people who suffer under sanctions? By the way, the people suffer. Sanctions are an act of war. They always are. Because bad economics kills people. We talk about that mm -hmm. all the time. Bad economics kills people. So destroying a nation's economy is an act of war. It is, it always has been, and it always will be. If another country did this to us and caused unemployment to skyrocket, caused our healthcare systems or our banking systems to collapse, and a lot of people went into poverty, a lot of people became homeless, a lot of people died from this, that, or whatever. How are the people going to feel? That's the question that you have to ask when you're talking about the people of Iran. You have to differentiate some of the bad actors in the government and then some of the innocent people who just live there. Okay? So that's, that's important. So, <clears throat> so in 2013, Hassan Rouhani is elected Iran's president on the platform of improving Iran's relations with the world and its economy. And then we've got the whole, uh, the Iran nuclear deal. We've got all that. And then Trump comes in, takes away the Iran nuclear deal. Well, hang on. During Obama's presidency, Trump was tweeting the whole time. Yeah. Basically saying that Obama numbers are low and the, only, the, the way to get him back up is he needs to start a war with Iran. Not good. Don't, don't go to war with Iran. We yeah. shouldn't do that. Your, your, your presidency is tanking, tanking. Don't put American soldiers' lives in danger. Well, let me just tell you. Here's what he said. Yes. This is from at real Donald Trump in, uh, let's see, November 11th. He said, in order to get elected, Barack Obama will start a war with Iran. Uh, let's see, on October 12th, he had said, now that Obama's poll numbers are in a tailspin, watch for him to launch a strike in Libya or Iran. He is desperate. Uh, September 13th, he said, I predict that President Obama will at some point attack Iran in order to save face. Uh, again, September 13th, remember what I previously said, Obama will someday attack Iran in order to show how tough he is. It's well known that war can become a political piece to win elections. It's, it's very well known. And now we've got everything that's happened. We've got everything that's happened. We killed this general, which was in response to them attacking our embassy. They attacked our embassy in response to us uh, conducting some strikes on some of their places. We conducted strikes on some of their places in reaction to them killing a, a U.S. contractor uh, and, and harming a bunch of uh, U.S. military personnel. It, you can trace this line of events all the way to what seems like about the year 1953. If you stop at 1979, then you're just being completely biased whenever you're talking about this. 
if you're cherry picking your dates where you decide to start holding Iran accountable for things that they did, and you don't go all the way back to 1953, then you're not portraying the actual truth of the situation. Just keep that in mind. There is no reason to say they've been a problem ever since 1979. You know, that, that's, not, that's not truthful. You, why are you cherry picking that year? Why aren't you going to talk about what happened in, the 19, in 1953, in the 1950s and 60s? You're cherry picking dates, just like everyone else who wants to try and make some kind of point. He wants to manipulate people in whatever way they can. Mm-hmm. You're cherry picking dates. Okay, so now where are we at? Now well, we just we received do? a comment from, I'm trying to figure this out, from I.I. Okay. I. I. okay. Um, and he said, by Harpatrika, which I'm looking up, and that seems to be a news site. Um, and it's Indian, actually. And apparently there's a headline that says, mm-hmm. America Revenge Will Be Taken for Salamani. So I, don't, I can't find that story, I.I. Um, but I did look it up. Um, so maybe elaborate a little bit more on that, but apparently there is a headline, uh, just taken from a comment here that says America revenge will be taken for Soleimani. Yeah. Um, I can't seem to find that. Of course it will. They're going to do some, they're going to strike us back you in wrote, some kind of way. He wrote a really good article this morning. That yeah. It was the retaliation, the retaliation, the yeah. retaliation. I'm going to retaliate for the retaliation of your retaliation for retaliating against my retaliation. Yes. And all of those were in re- retaliation for something. And all those were yeah. in retaliation for the other retaliations that happened. In the, re, in the retaliation year of all the other years yeah. of retaliation. You can't just say we killed this general because they attacked our embassy. Well, you need to keep tracing the back. Why did they attack our embassy? Well, because we attacked some of their uh, installation. Well, why did they, why did we do that? Well, because they attacked some of our contractors that we have over there. When we say contractors, by the way, uh, we mean like mercenaries that were paying to, to kill people. Um, we could also mean people who are building things. That's, that's, not, that's not all it is. But um, largely, we have a lot of military contractors. People who, worked, people who worked for Blackwater were U.S. contractors. That's what they were. When I went and played in, in um, let's see, when we went to Djibouti, Africa, they asked what we were doing. And we said contracting that, because we could not say that we were there playing music for the but They wouldn't let us through that they right. wouldn't let us through the airport. And the guy told us that from Armed Forces Entertainment. He said, they're not going to let you through the airport if you say that you're playing music at a military base. He said, just put contractor on the, on the thing. <clears throat> so this is a vague term, you know. But then you got to say, well, why did they do that? Well, it's probably because we did something. And then why did we do that? Well, probably because they did something. And so that's why it's really important to trace this as far back as you can. And you can at least get to the year 1953 and see a very, very clear line of events that literally just started over profits from oil. Right. That's, that's literally what it was. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's a actual CIA documents and news stories and everything talking about this. That's what it was about. And so you have to keep tracing all of these actions back and look, look your country in the mirror. Okay. <laughs> country. Yeah. Country. Look yourself in the mirror and see if you are at all to blame accept responsibility if there is any if there is any be truthful be truthful about it okay are we perfect is the united states government perfect good lord look at what uh, everything else we talk about on this podcast so it we talk about all this stuff on the podcast about how the government is evil and how you can't trust the government to do stuff and then when it comes to this if you say the united states government isn't perfect then you're somehow 
just being a blame America firster. Yeah. You know, it's the government. It's still the government. It's still the government doing these things, which means they are not perfect. They probably do bad things. They probably do things that do not have really good repercussions like everything else that they do. And it's been done by people, as I mentioned in the deep state. Yeah. It's been done by people who have been in power for 20, 30, 40 years. And they have these, these decade or, or, you know, half century long careers inside of powerful positions inside of the government. They keep working their way up and they're the ones operating behind the scenes who we don't get to elect, by the way. No, we have no power over them whatsoever. And clearly there's no repercussions. I mean, James Clapper, the head of the NSA, lied to Congress, lied to Congress. And then he still got to be in charge of the NSA for like another 10 years. Didn't even get brought up on perjury charges or anything. He's not in jail. He's not in prison. He lied to the American people, lied to Congress. They get to operate with impunity. Yeah. And there's no they can go around changing foreign leaders and there's no there's no they can do literally whatever they want. They they make money. They they probably do all kinds of crazy things. And and I mean, just the fact that they get to change world leaders and stage coups and do all this stuff with no repercussions. I mean, you're playing real life. Whatever. What's the battle of the what's that game? Oh, I don't know. You're playing it in real life with real lives and real countries. Well, Here's where I let's say that we didn't sway your opinion whatsoever on the most recent happenings. Let's just say that you believe what you believe. You're not going to change what you believe on killing this general. Hey, that general, probably a really terrible guy. If you're if you're at war with the country, then this was a good kill. Good job. If you're at war with a country, if you're not at war with the country, then that's not then that's not very good. All I'm asking is. If you're not going to change your stance on how you feel with what we should do with Iran, then start talking about how Congress has to declare war on Iran. All of these conservatives for my entire life have been talking about the U.S. Constitution. They have been banging the constitutional drum, talking about the founding fathers over and over again, how the Democrats are trampling the Constitution. You go through a whole Democratic debate and the word Constitution isn't said the entire time. And then just like everyone else, just like the Democrats, just like the liberals, the hardcore leftists, you decide to cherry pick what parts of the Constitution you actually want to uphold. And that's a slippery slope. And it's a slippery slope that you're helping create. It's a vicious circle that you are furthering. The Democrats do it and you're doing it. Either you care about what's in the Constitution or you don't. You don't get to arbitrarily draw lines around different articles of the Constitution just because you like Donald Trump. That is not what you get to do. The Constitution says that the United States Congress has the power to declare war. And only Not Congress. the president. Only Congress shall declare war. Okay? And Congress passing a law like the War Authorization Act does not negate their responsibility or duty to declare war. The War Authorization Act does not even include Iran, by the way. It, it, includes, uh, it includes what? Um, Iraq and Afghanistan and maybe Syria, something like that. It's authorizing military actions in those countries. It does not authorize war actions against Iran. And that's, that is what's happening. Now, We're, apparently this general was in Iraq, though. Yeah, I he think. was there, but... But it doesn't matter. Were you telling me that what, if one of our generals goes to another country and Iran kills that general... That that's not an act of war against the United States? No, I agree with you. I'm you know, just saying he, I know, was, he I know. was in that country. I know. So but, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11 of the United States Constitution, which they also would call the War Powers Clause, gives power to Congress to declare war. 
It says, the Congress shall have power. Listen, they wrote this in pretty clear. Uh, for, all their old, for all their old 1700s speak, this is written out pretty clearly for you. The Congress shall have power to declare war, grant letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water. But pretty simple. Pretty simple. The okay. Congress shall have power. All Not right. the Congress and maybe the president. So we had, <laughs> we had something going on in the 1800s. Um, well, okay, so you have to ask the question, why? Why did our founding fathers grant Congress the power solely to Congress, not yeah. the president, not the judiciary, not anyone else except the people's representatives? Yeah. Right. The, 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 the body of government that the people directly represent, which is Congress. Um, Why were they giving the sole power to declare war? So, and not only that, there was a, there was a, a, a second part to this that they can only uh, fund a war for a period of up to two years, and then they have to revote to put more funding towards the war. Yeah. So they, they were very strict um, in the Constitution and what they considered uh, legally allow, allowable for the federal government to do when it comes to war. And there's a very specific reason for that. Now, listen, if you're someone who doesn't give two craps what's in the Constitution, you push for all kinds of unconstitutional stuff all the time. And you want us to also be bombing these other countries that we haven't declared war on? Then guess what? Hey, you became a principal person all of a sudden because you didn't care about the Constitution yesterday when it came to taxation, when it came to all the different things that our regulatory bodies do. You didn't, and you don't care about it now. But if you're someone who talks about the Constitution all the time, then you don't get to cherry pick what parts of it you like and what parts of it you don't. There was something going on in the 1800s. Um, with between us and Mexico, what happened was Texas became a state and we drew a line basically. And there was conflict on that line between us and Mexico where we drew our lines. Well, we won't even get into why we were able to draw the lines where we drew it. None of that. What happened was there was conflict between us and Mexico and president James K. Polk amassed, uh, a lot of troops on the border down there. And we were effectively technically fighting against Mexican troops at that time. Okay, so here's a quote from then Congressman Abraham Lincoln. He wrote a letter to James K. Polk. It says, The provision of the Constitution, giving the war-making power to Congress, was dictated, as I understand it, by the following reasons. Kings had always been involving and impoverishing their people in wars pretending generally, if not always, that the good of the people was the object. This our convention understood to be the most oppressive of all kingly oppressions, and they resolved to so frame the Constitution that no one man should hold the power of bringing this oppression upon us. But your view destroys the whole matter and places our president where kings have always stood. That's pretty good. That's amazing. Good job, actually. Abe. And yeah. as, as much as, um, you know, Abe had his faults that libertarians <clears throat> like to list, this yeah. is actually something uh, really good because as I've said to our audience many times and anybody who's willing to listen to me, that our constitution wasn't just drawn up overnight. It was, it was a collection of, of studied, thoughtful people who understood their history. The Constitution was at least 900 years in the making. This was generations of people who understood what t 
tyranny and oppression was and how it came about. What were the starts of it? And, you know, many times in, in, the, in the convention of the Constitution, they had talked about how kings used war, used perpetual warfare to keep people down. I believe Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson and those guys exchanged letters in, in the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers. And I didn't look them up before we started the show. But I know I've read Thomas Jefferson said um, the one like basically one way to keep the, the people oppressed is perfect is perpetual mm-hmm. warfare. It's the best way. It's the the most tyrannical and best way to lose your liberties because the government in the in matters of wartime, the government has increased power over your liberty. You lose liberty when you're at war and kings did this all the time. It was the most oppressive thing that they did. And they always said it was for the good of the people. Government always says this is for the good of the people. It's better to fight him over there than it is to fight him over here. This is for American interest. It's for the good of you. We're protecting you. And all the whole time they don't, they're not because government doesn't care about you. And the, the power to declare war was specifically delegated to Congress, which was the direct representation of people because our founders knew that it's, we're not always going to be at peace. So when we do go to war, we need to have an avenue of going to war. And when we do go to war, it should be a pe- for a period of no longer than two years. We should not fund it for a period of longer than two years before we reconvene to discuss if we need to continue a war because war should be swift and quick and peace should mm-hmm. always be, be the, the top peace should always be the, um, the state that we strive for. We shouldn't be involved in 20 year wars. No. And and we shouldn't have a president that acts like a king that can deploy troops wherever he wants. And this is that's not just the critique of Trump, no. by the way. Obama, Obama Bush, Bu- all Clinton, of, all of them, Reagan, <clears throat> all of them. And the, the the thing is, you have to decide whether or not you actually care about what's in the Constitution. And then you have to ask yourself, why are we there? Why are we in the Middle East? Why are we still there? What are we doing? Are we having the desired effect? We talk about how government programs do not have their desired effect, that they have negative consequences that were not intended all the time, except for on the right, mostly, whenever it comes to war and whenever it comes to toppling regimes and toppling dictators. We don't talk about the negative, in the unintended consequences of doing that. We talk about it with, with Medicaid and, th- and things like that. No, this, this is always the case. You have to ask yourself, is this a winnable war? What does that look like? Good Lord, now we're talking about Iran. We had the same conversation with Iraq and Afghanistan. It goes for all of those countries over there. What Libya, about Syria, <clears throat> Libya, Syria, all these places? This is the same conversation. What does victory look like? What does it actually look like? Okay, you have to realize that in killing this, what did you do in killing this general? What did you actually do? You think a new general hasn't been appointed already? I mean, come on. What would happen if one of our generals got killed? Oh, now we don't have a general? No, 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 that's not what happens. Uh, This is not cutting off the head of a snake, okay? Unless snakes grow a couple heads back after you cut their heads off, then then in in that case, it is. The problem is, I think this quote is uh, Ed, oh crap, I'm going to mess up the... Medgar Evers, I think, Medgar Evers, something like that, said, you can kill a man, but you can't kill an idea. And as always, with what we're doing in the Middle East, we are trying to kill 
an idea by killing a man. And it's not going to happen. These people over there, I'm not saying all of them, but by and large, they do not share the same values, the same culture, the same, the, the same beliefs and in individual sovereignty and sanct- the sanctity of the human life and individual rights like we have here. They do not have the same beliefs that we do, okay? They have to come upon that and they have to decide that they're going to fight their own wars and that they're going to have their own revolutions. This is not going to happen by toppling a dictator, by getting rid of enough of their government. You're just going to see more and more problems. And a hundred years from now, people will be talking about what happened in 2020 and how it was the start of of how all this happened. Okay, this is still just history and it's not going to have a different outcome. We need to leave the area. We need to get out. I'm not big on losing or giving up. But whenever it's a game you shouldn't have been in in the first place, then you need to decide that it's time to come home. And it is absolutely time to bring all of the troops home from the Middle East. All of the places that we are occupying against the people in those countries' wishes. Maybe the people in Germany want us there. Maybe the people in South Korea want us there. Maybe all the other bases, the people want us there. and We're not fighting people to be there. Okay? These people... Don't want our bases there. There are governments in these countries, and we are occupying their lands. Just like Ron Paul said, we're over there. They're not over here. We're over there. And this lazy argument of we're stopping something worse from happening, it's just a non-starter. It's, a, it's, it's just deciding that uh, we can make that argument for everything. Oh, if we don't nationalize health care, then a million people are going to die next year, Charlie. Yeah, right. Don't you know that? Right. A million people are going to die. They're going to. Look, I just said that's what could happen. <laughs> Come on. So we have to nationalize healthcare. Right. Obviously we do. No, this argument of something bad might happen is a non-starter. It's With- this terrible, lazy argument, and it's, all it is is an excuse to try and get cheaper oil. That's, that's really all it is. It's governing, and it's also governing on fear. Yeah, it is. Versus, versus uh, you know a positive. My thing is maybe we're wrong. Okay. But let's try it for a year. Maybe just try it. Like, come on. Well, we've been doing this for 20 and it's not working. The thing is pull all the troops home and just try it for a year or two. The problem why, why this is so complicated is we are in this situation now. And this is why the middle East is very complicated. I realize it's not as simple as we leave there and then nothing bad is going to happen. I don't think that. You have to realize that we went over there, we saw a beehive, we hit it with a stick, and then we're going to just say, okay, well, if I put the stick down, then I'm not going to get stung by any bees. That's not what's going to happen. We could leave there, and there are going to be generations of people that might have good cause for hating America, that might want to do bad things to us, okay? You're going to take, it's going to take a hundred years of us not meddling in other people's affairs for those generations to die off and new ones to be raised and not, and not hate us. Okay. The first generation right after, you know, right after World War II probably didn't just magically like all of the countries that were involved in World War II if they were on the other side. Okay. I don't think the first generation born, you know, just loved 
they just loved America. The first people born in Germany, they just loved America greatly. No, like uh, my dad died or my grandpa died. You know, you know, we didn't just love Germany. Like, no, all these people died. Okay, so it's not going to be just magically there's peace. We've gone in and we've, I'll just leave that analogy. We've poked a beehive with a stick and now we have to decide maybe, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to, to just keep doing that or, you know, to keep funding more beehives <laughs> to, to be created. <laughs> right. You know, I don't think that's a really good idea. So, well, and then you look at our other operations in Libya and Syria and Iraq, you know, we've, we've, let's say toppled one dictator and then a whole swarm, you know, we killed the queen bee, let's say like Saddam Hussein, and then a whole swarm of ISIS members, all the worker bees got real pissed about it. And they took over and they're now worse. You know, the Islamic mm -hmm. caliphate is worse than the dictator we took down. Yeah. Well, and the dictator we took down got put up there by us. Yes. So it's. A, we groomed geez. that queen bee. Listen, man, you're going to have to bring your brooms because it's a mess. Okay. It's a mess. Get your brooms. Listen. So all I'm saying is you can't go over there. And then just say, well, we have to re we have to retaliate because they attacked us. Yeah. Like, don't go over there. I want to okay. go back to uh, I.I.'s comment here. And uh, John Hiller, thank you for this information. He found a story on Yahoo News. I'm telling Americans, especially Trump, we will take a revenge that will change their daylight into a nighttime darkness, said the cleric Ayatollah Ahmad Katami. So they are basically saying they're going to retaliate and turn our daytime into darkness. Now, look, when it comes to war, it, like Iran doesn't really pose a threat to the United States. Let's no, be honest. Not really. No. Even if they do have a nuclear weapon, which I, they probably don't, but even if they did, they probably don't even have the capability to get it even where close to the United States. Unless they've driven them over here. Right. And they're, and they're strategically placed and we just don't know it. Right. There's you know, no way some of them, all fears type stuff, right? There's no way for them to do it. Um, I don't know they, they don't have enough money to pay Russia to do it. No, you know, like there's no that, you know, North Korea, if they're in cahoots with them, don't have the capability mm. to do it. Like there's no way for Iran to actually turn America daytime into darkness. So it's like, it, like any other war, if we're going to go to war, if if Congress declares war on Iran for this, for if they retaliate and we end up declaring war, it it should be last resort number one and two it should be as as potent and as dehumanizing as possible until Iran gives up. Yeah, and that's and that's it. So to paraphrase or kind of pull from a a guy named Jason Staple and look up the podcast Wealth, Power, and Influence if you if you haven't listened to that, a lot of you guys probably do. Um, if you're if you're going to go to war, then just go freaking end the war. Listen, the only way to win this war, and I'm not calling for this, the only way to end this war is to just completely annihilate Iran, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Afghanistan. Russia, all the places, Turkey, all the places that they're all allied with is to completely level those places and buy up the real estate because it's going to skyrocket in value with that, you know, from the, the zero dollar 
point that it's going to come from. Okay. Now that's how you would actually win this war, but doing these little things where we just, you know, strike a couple things and just keep this going for a hundred years. It's, this is not going to work. If you're going to go to war, then go freaking win the war. Go, go do it. People die in war during, during world war two. We, we bombed places that killed civilians that killed all, you know, you were running bombing runs on cities at that time. And that's if you're actually going to conduct a war and win it. That's what you're actually going to do. You're going to have to exert your power over those countries so strongly and kill enough people that the idea that you, you put them in complete submission to you, that they have no other options at all. And then probably, you know, a generation later when people do grow up and they still hate America, you know, it's not going to be that great still. But that's how you would actually do it. What we're doing, that's, that's not how you, you know how I know it's not how you actually do it? Because we're here and we've been doing it for 20 years. Mm-hmm. We were in World War II for like six years, seven years, something like that. We leveled the place. Okay. That ended the war. With, That's in, with 40s in technology. The, in the 1940s, with 1940s technology, <laughs> we leveled the place. We ended the war in seven years. Okay. One, you has, could argue we should have never dropped nuclear bombs in, in Japan. Yeah. You could argue that. Yeah. They're destructive. They, they do. Yeah. They're, they blow stuff up. But Japan gave up after that, by the way. They did. And, you know, there's, there's obviously... The argument would go, well, they were planning, we were going to have to invade them and and we were going to lose hundreds of thousands of troops. Um, So we had to do what we had to do to to end that conflict before we lost a million people, you know. And so that's a topic for another day, obviously. But in the 1940s, we ended the war with actual countries that had major militaries and we put them in the submission and we won those wars. This has been going on for 20 years. That's how you know that this doesn't work. It's been going on for that at least 20 years. Good Lord, it's actually been going on since the 50s. We just didn't right. call it that. Okay. So anyway. My hope is that we don't go to war with Iran. I agree. You know, I don't want to send people like your brother. Yeah. I don't want to send, you know, other friends that I have in the military. I don't want any of those people to be put in harm's way. Um, I hope that, you know, our friends and our family that are in the military can stay home and protect America here, you know? Um, so my, that's my hope. We don't go to war with Iran, but it, it's looking like I'm going to be wrong on that. Yeah. I based had this- on, uh, our, we're already sending troops over. Um, there's probably other things we don't know about happening in the background. There's probably troop movements and all kinds of things. So I had this really unfortunate, this ironic conversation with my brother over Christmas break and he's, I, Ironic or ironic, ironic, (laughs) ironic conversation with my brother. He's in the, he's in the very good. Charlie is a dad, by the way, he's got a three-year-old son. So yeah, there you go. Um, he's in the Marines. He's in his last year of the, of the Marines and, uh, he is in the reserves. Um, still very much a Marine and his reserve unit has been called up in like every major conflict that we've had. And I was talking, I was like, well, you know, you've got a year left. Um, you know, I don't think anything big is going to happen because we're in an election year. So I, I don't think anything big is going to happen. You're probably going to make it through this year. As long as Iran doesn't do something stupid, 
We literally talked about Iran. I was like, I, I think you're going to be fine unless something yeah. stupid happens between Iran. And literally, like, not even a week later, this stuff starts going on. So I hope to God that it doesn't get bad enough that they start calling up everyone and sending 100,000 troops over there. Um, this, is, this is personal. Uh, this is supporting the troops because I have family members that are troops. And supporting the troops does not mean that you want to send them to their possible death. That is not supporting the troops. Right. Okay. Supporting the troops is doing everything you can to keep them alive and supporting a strong national defense, you know, supporting that. There's something I said in there that's actually pretty important. If we could mention it for a minute. I said, we're in an election year, so I don't think that we're going to have anything bad happen. How crazy is it that things like this, things like war, things like all of these national foreign affairs, that we can dictate policies based on political elections, that, that you know that in the conversation of taking out this general, that someone was in the room strategizing on whether or not this was going to hurt Trump's chances at re-election. Mm -hmm. You know that that conversation took place. You know that Benghazi hurt Hillary. You know, that things, you know that things like this exist. Our government, our system of government is not set up to conduct these kinds of things. Intentionally, our government is not set up to do these types of things. There is a reason that we change out a new president every four or eight years. We change out Senator Six and Congressman Two, even though it seems like every 35 years, 30, 34 years. <laughs> right. You know, there's a reason that we do that. We're not built to conduct anything competently. The government is not built to do that. We're, we're just not, unless it's obvious, like World War II, and even then we had a president serve three and a half terms. We're not built to do this. We're not built to manage the healthcare system. We're not built to manage our economy whatsoever. We are not built for major, long-term, world-changing goals. We're just not built for it. And that's intentional. Our government is always terrible at doing things. Always. Okay? We are inefficient. The government is fairly incompetent at everything that it does. And we are not good at managing our economy. We're not good at managing our country from Washington, D.C., which means we're also not good at managing 18 other countries from Washington, D.C. We're just not built to do it. And that is why this has to go to Congress, which is the, most cl the closest representation of the people in the United States, because when you're going to send the people to their potential deaths, the people need to vote on it. And that's all we're asking for. Yep. So I couldn't agree more. Guys, if you like this podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your warmonger cousin. Uh, even if you and, don't uh, like it. Yeah, even if you don't like it, <laughs> listen to it again. Listen to it a whole bunch of times until you do like it. Um, <laughs> all we're asking is for Congress to declare war if we're going to be at war with Iran, which we are, by the way. That's what happens when two countries are continuously attacking and killing each other. We are at war with Iran. It needs to go through Congress. So, guys, if you like it, go follow us on Instagram at Good Morning Liberty. Follow us on Twitter at Good AM Liberty. Follow us on TikTok. You can look us up on there. Look us up on Snapchat. 
Look us up, search social media in your app store and any of those social media accounts. Just look us up on those accounts. Okay. The easiest way to do all that actually is go to gmlconnect.com. gmlconnect.com on the live feed. It's right there below. You can also go to goodmorninglibertyus burninglies.com, lizlies.com. Lots of ways to find us, to get in touch with us. Send us a message. Um, some of you guys commenting on here saying we're wrong, which is good. We'll look some of it up. Um, maybe we'll have a conversation about that on Monday's podcast when we're back to do this again, uh, and then support the show. The best thing you can do, like we said, share the show, leave us a rating and review five stars because that's what it's worth. Leave <laughs> us a five star review and, uh, tell your friends about the show. And then we have a shop on that gmlconnect.com link. There's a shop there where you could buy, uh, you know, burninglies.com mugs. There's uh there's even a taxationist theft underwear yeah. for, for you dudes out there. We've actually <laughs> sold several pair of those. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> so go put uh, taxationist theft on your underwear and wear it to your favorite occasion. Yeah. <laughs> and um, anyway. just like just like acts actual taxation, the words taxationist theft is very um expandable to any size uh it is. just just depending you know depending on the situation yeah, exactly so <laughs> so go out there and get that if you guys do all that we'll be back again on monday hope you guys had a great holiday season great christmas and a great new year we're starting 2020 off with a bang <laughs> oh. we'll see you guys on monday Bad hope you guys jokes. have a good day and a good morning liberty